Welcome one and all to Last Stop Penn Station podcast featuring Carrie Silken and Ian Riccoboni. They dive deep into Carrie's wealth of stories and no subject is off limits. From the world of wrestling to his ticket agency, growing up in New Jersey, drug-fueled underground days, hustling in the French Quarter of New Orleans, and endless days and nights in New York City, every story is worth telling. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. It is Last Stop Penn Station. Ian Riccoboni, our producer, AJ from Basan Creative and Web Design, and our guest of honor, Carrie Silken. How are you, Carrie? I'm okay. Okay? I'm okay. How are you? I'm feeling optimistic. We got the vaccine rollout. Seems to be going well. You know, you got your first first dose. I'm going uh, a week from tomorrow, March 10th. We're wow. doing this on a Tuesday night. I'm going March 10th. I believe our producer, AJ, will have it before then, his second shot. Awesome. And uh, yeah, so uh, that's that's exciting. And uh, I saw on the news, a little try to avoid the news sometimes, but uh, it was good news that by June or so, there's going to be enough vaccine for yeah. everybody. There's going to be more vaccine than there, uh, than there are adults, which is... In the United States, which is great. Uh, I saw Merck and Johnson & Johnson are partnering, and that's unusual. My my father worked for Merck, and uh, over the years, they were very competitive. So it's unusual when companies as big as Johnson & Johnson and Merck decide to work together. Uh, but it's a great cause to try and get those vaccines manufactured as quickly as possible. So very cool. That was great news all around today. Yes. So, <laughs> so I'm feeling I'm feeling optimistic and the weather's getting warmer. The snow's finally melting. I saw grass in my front. In front it was lawn. cold today. It man. was cold. <laughs> tomorrow's supposed to be. I, yeah. Tomorrow's supposed to be in the, in the, in the make it into the 50s. And then it's going to be no snow, mm-hmm. but it's going to be uh, in the 40s where we live for a number of days. And next week, when I see you next Tuesday, it might not at the, not in the evening, but it's possibly going to get to uh, sixty during the day. Wow! So no chance of any snow. Uh, we'll probably get two feet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, that's, that's what it seems to be in March. You know, it always the second week of March. It always seems to all hell breaks loose. Well, I remember two opening day Yankee games that I was going to that mm-hmm. were not rained out, snowed out. Wow! It was in the nineties mm-hmm. uh, or early two thousands. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's let's see what else we could talk about besides the weather. Here. Sure. How about the uh, the championship watch party? Oh, that was great! I had two great matches: the tag team championships, Dragon Lee and Kenny King, a team you don't see often, sneaking in a victory. Yeah, it, it, very underhanded mm-hmm. uh, in both matches. Yeah. Uh, I'll just talk to Todd Sinclair whenever. If I ever get to see him. Right. It's uh, it's a like Gorilla Monsoon used to say. You need two referees out there, which Dave Meltzer confirmed at one point was very common for tag team matches. So maybe we need to bring it back for Ring of Honor. Yeah, um, that was a great match. And then the title match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shane Taylor's really, uh, really stepping it, stepping up his game, taking it to a different level. And uh, just uh, I wish Roosh wouldn't feel the need to use everything around the ring. The the chairs, the, the Not cords. Not cool. 
Yeah, he he doesn't need to, but he knows that if he gets disqualified, he keeps the title. So I guess in his mind, he's going to take it as far as it goes. And now my good friend Amy Rose is like the manager, the greatest manager of, of all time. time. Yeah, has three championships simultaneously, no less. So it's it's one of these things where, I mean, she's she's done something that. You know, Jim Cornette managed the Briscoes to the championships right. early on. And Truth Martini managed Jay Lethal to the TV and the world title. But not many people, nobody has done it. So she, she's got the tag team champions? Got the tag team champions. The six men? No. Not the, the six men. The TV. TV. And the world. It's incredible. Yeah, unbelievable for somebody that's uh, this new onto the scene. She's the brains behind the operations with La Fasion and Gobert Able. So coming up this week, we're going to see a pure match between Josh Woods and Dalton Castle. And then we're going to see a four-corner survival. One fall to a finish. Matt Taven, Jay Briscoe, Jay Lethal, and EC3 returning to ROH television to compete. Winner goes on, gets a world title shot. And the rumor is the winner goes on to the anniversary event on March 26th to cash that in. And that was just going to mention the... Uh 19th anniversary of Ring of Honor coming up. It's on the 26th mm-hmm. uh, on pay-per-view. Pay-per-view, Fight TV. All Honor Club members get it absolutely free. It comes complimentary with your subscription. I spoke to Joe Koff today. Oh, all right. And uh, there, I'm getting the shot that, you know, I want to start talking about my medical problems here, but I'm getting the shot the 10th. I might as well. I talk about everything else. Uh, I'm getting the shot the 10th. And you're supposed to wait two weeks mm. after the shot if you really, really wanted to be safe. And Joe, who's a couple of years older than me, mm-hmm. said he's and who lives there mm-hmm. and it's his company. Mm-hmm. He's not going because okay. he's getting the shot, you know, a couple of days before it made the end of the week. Point is, is that he'd rather play it on the safe side. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told him I wanted to go, but. I don't know if I'm ready. And they went out of their way to make some uh, provisions, the right word. So I didn't have to go into with Mr. Bubbles. Sure. (laughs) You know, and so um, hopefully I will be there and I will be there in May. Mm -hmm. And uh, there things might be much more relaxed Right. Even for young, healthy people like you and all the wrestlers. Yeah. I'll still be wearing a mask, you know, that's for sure. Even hopefully after I get the vaccine, my wife is getting it tomorrow as we record. She's getting the first dose. So that's exciting. And my sister's been fully inoculated, my sister-in-law, my brother. Uh, so things are looking up. But uh, but yeah, I think I'm still going to wear a mask for a little bit because you can still pass it on even if you don't feel the symptoms yeah, and, of it. Yeah, good thing we're not in Texas. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh, geez. Yeah, we're thinking about Sorry you, Texas. Sorry for our many Texas listeners yeah. and our friend Stu Myrick. Right. But, I mean, come on. Yeah, just uh, be thoughtful of one another and take uh, CDC precautions as you go out and about. We know this is, uh, it's been almost a year since we dropped, me and Todd Sinclair dropped you off at the airport and uh, waved yes. goodbye. So, man, I, I can't wait you know, the 18th anniversary was going to be so much fun, but the 19th anniversary going in with with Roosh as the champion, with Dragon Lee and uh, Kenny King as the tag team champions. And it looks like Jonathan Gresham is going to hold on to the t- the pure title. And I've been told he'll defend it. Shane Taylor Promotions defending the six minute titles. It's going to be a hell of a night. 
Yeah, it's a good card. It's it's more than a good card. It's an excellent card. And uh, let's see what happens. Uh, not to push push things too far in advance, but you know the. Let's hope that at at the time of the twentieth, mm-hmm. at monumental twentieth anniversary, we could do it in some semblance in front of a crowd. Yeah. You know, we're talking uh, 13 months from now. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, uh, I think spring will come again. Spring will come again. <laughs> That's the great 80s town musical once said. But Carrie, last week, we we're, were talking about the future. Let's go back in time now. Last week, we were talking about the, the Lehigh Valley, coming to the Lehigh Valley. You're, you're teasing me. You're stringing me along with Disney World. You said there's a Disney World story. I got a Disney World story for you, but I got a story before this. Okay. Before I'm cutting you off. All right. That's, That's all right. All right. Um, yeah. We, we needed to we, real quick mention, please check out the 55 and 5, Ian's oh, yeah. brainchild. Yeah, you were having a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun looking at these wrestlers from the 1955 Parkhurst Wrestling Series from Canada, where uh, I have problems with just about all of them. <laughs> and uh, it's on... Uh, it's on the ad-free shows network. It is. If you want to binge audio format, head on over to ad-free shows. They're always free. You know, the print, some of the content with Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, you got to pay a little extra to get the extra content, but their basic shows are free and ours, ours are as well. As well as the poster, the, the posters of the week, which mm-hmm. we supply. Yeah. And it's a fun extra for these people. Uh, we just did the needy. The uh, the charitable posters, <laughs> right? Donna Stutz. This is you're not gonna want to miss this. I, I'll tell you, folks. That's uh, make sure. And the way you can do that, you can go follow Ad Free Shows on Twitter. They post a link. It's a uh, it's an quote unquote unlisted YouTube link, which means anybody who has the link can watch it for free. Uh, and they post it. So I usually add those to my playlist on my page, youtube.com slash Ian Riccoboni. That's where you get the 55 and 5 videos. And so you can see the cards as we're talking about them. And that's where you can see all the posters of the week. We have a nice handy playlist. Just click on it. You can watch them all. Very good. But before we head to Disney World, maybe um, <laughs> I, I I had this. Somehow we did the last. We're always mentioning these, trying to mention these things that we watch or we don't watch like one night in Miami. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> those Disney infomercials are just calling my name. Gary. There, there's a, a almost a follow up piece to one night in Miami, which hmm. is uh, have you seen the ads for uh, Judas and the Black Messiah? No, which is on HBO and it's about Fred Hampton. OK. And the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. In Chicago, wow, and uh, it's all true. Uh, this guy was only 21 years old. We're talking in the time of you know Angela Davis and uh, the Black Panthers. Not that they were the greatest guys, you know. Their cause was a little bit radical, uh, but the Chicago, the FBI, led by J. Edgar Hoover, of course, mm-hmm. and the Chicago police. Who, J. Edgar Hoover, a little bit radical himself. Absolutely. As, as we know. And the Chicago police, freshly coming off the 68 uh, Democratic Convention. Right. With that horror show, uh, which led to the Chicago 7, which included... Uh, what Abby Hoffman and mm-hmm. Jerry Rubin and what was the name of the black of the black pant Bobby Seals, mm. and uh, so yeah, 
Um, Judas and the Black Messiah, really, really good. I watched it with our producer, AJ. It's a good thing he's around or I'd have no one to watch these with. But uh, we've, been, we've been watching music stuff primarily. And we, we took a turn for uh, something serious. Mike G suggested us suggested it to us. And it was really, really good. Not to mention, hold on. <laughs> if there, if, not to mention, you know about the original Rolling Stone, Brian Jones? Oh. The guitar player. I don't believe I do. I got the first name right, don't I? Yeah. Brian Jones basically started the Rolling Stones. Wow. And uh, he was a couple years older than Jagger, Richards, Wyman, and Watts. Mm -hmm. And uh, as all these bands like the Beatles and then going on to the, the, the English bands, Cream and Floyd and Zeppelin and so on and so forth, they one guy knew another guy who knew another guy from these clubs. Mm -hmm. And uh, Brian Jones... He was like the one guy in the Stones who had, uh, he was a, a composer and he had some musicality to him. Not that Keith Richards didn't play guitar good mm -hmm. or Mick Jagger didn't sing good, yeah. but they didn't do original songs oh, in the okay. beginning. And Brian Jones was the first one, uh, Paint Black. Oh. Um, um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking out. Be that as it may, oh, and obviously leading to Satisfaction, which was their first huge worldwide hit. Mm -hmm. But uh, Brian Jones wound up mysterious. You know, he took the path of drugs and uh, they sort of wanted to get rid of him. He was he became trouble. This is 1968. And he was found under mysterious circumstances in his swimming pool, dead. Oh, no. In... Uh, like May or June of 68, or maybe it was even, it, it, the Stones had a show July 5th in uh, Hyde Park. There was a free show. Hmm. That was the first show and his replacement was Mick Taylor. Mm -hmm. So we put this documentary on just thinking it was going to tell us about uh, Jones, but uh, it turned into a real, it's, you could say conspiracy theory, but uh, very, very, Interesting circumstances. Mm. Like it wasn't so case closed that this guy just, oh, he was on a lot of drugs and he was just messed up and he drowned. Yeah. And uh, it, was a, it was a real uh, eye opener. Nobody talks about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Sounds a lot like Keith Moon uh, and Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, who both died by drowning. And... It, it was, well, let's not forget, although they didn't drown, or maybe they drowned in their own puke, mm. was, uh, you know, you got Joplin, Hendrix, and Jim, Mar and Jim Morrison, yeah. who died within six months of each other. You know, the famous 27 Club. Right. Was Brian Jones, 20, Brian Jones was 27 too. Oh, geez. And uh, Kurt Cobain. Right. So uh, that was really good. Um the last of my rock and roll stuff, and I, I read this book 
about the Fillmore East and West, which mm -hmm. was owned by Bill Graham. Mm -hmm. You know who that is, the famous promoter? The promoter, yeah. Right. Bill Graham, he ruled with an iron fist. The reason I wanted to look into it was because after talking in some of our previous episodes about the Led Zeppelin book, and then that Peter Grant book, their manager that was a pro wrestler in England. Right. And how this guy was just a, you know, six foot. He was, he was like, a, he was like, uh, he's 601 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> he was 20 stone. Six foot, six foot four, 20 stone. And, you know, so like in the, in the Peter Grant book, there's a big thing in there where he tells when Led Zeppelin uh, two is huge. He tells Bill Graham, I'm not, you know, and, and the other U.S. promoters. This is all uh, uh, urban legend, let's just say, mm -hmm. that instead of a 60-40 split, which they did often with the house, with the, uh, the, the buildings, he wanted a 90-10 split. Mm. Now, after reading that and knowing a little bit about Bill Graham, because he was tough Bill Graham came out of the, his family, he was, they were German Jews and he escaped Germany in 1940, 1940 <clears throat> came to the U.S. Uh, his parents were killed. He was mm. put in some youth home in, in the Catskills and he was adopted by these people that lived in the Bronx and he grew up, he learned English and he grew up in the 50s. Uh, he was a great hustler. He, he used to work, uh, you know, they had those Catskills, the, the, the resorts in the Catskills. Yeah. They used to call it the Borscht Belt. Oh. It was like the Jewish <laughs> Jewish people would go, you know, like my parents would call it the Borscht Belt. They, where uh, there were these things, there were these nightclubs. And uh, he used to work there. <clears throat> And he would run crap games after, <laughs> after, yeah, afterwards, like with the staff. And he, he wasn't really a partier, but he just, he was a hustler. And he made money, lost money, traveled around like you're supposed to do when you're in your 20s. And he wound up out in California and uh, he got into the music business. And um, he eventually owned Winterland which was almost a 5,000 seat theater in San Francisco. Mm. And he was managing uh, or advising with the dead and, Jan and Janis Joplin and Jefferson Airplane. Mm. And he had a falling out with them. And when, he, when the falling out happened, the dead, using the money of... Uh, Owsley, who made the LSD, oh. <laughs> they, they, bought, they bought the building that became the Fillmore West. So the dead owned this building and had a different name. Bill Graham mended way, uh, made amends with them. So he had both buildings and would book the dead and as well as uh, uh, Jefferson Airplane. And when he was... In New York, and he was growing up, the one his one love. This is so we're talking like 10, 
12, 15 years before this rock and roll, he loved Latin music. Mm. And he would go out, you know, to like Roseland. They would have a Latin night, you know, Oxavier Cugat and, and <laughs> Desi Arnaz, right? And he just loved it. So when Santana appeared on the San Francisco scene, um, he basically managed and guided them and, uh, you know, Carlos Santana, This I, I learned this all from this book. His father was a, uh, a musician and Carlos was playing guitar when he was like 12, 13 years old. And they were in Mexico, in Tijuana, hmm. and he was working these whorehouses. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> this is what he was seeing at 12, 13, 14. Oh. And a man came over the border mm -hmm. and would bring Carlos back to the U.S., and it was a, uh, he was abused. Oh. This Bondi, it, Santana talks about it now. Mm. It took him 40 years yeah. to talk about this. Wow. And, uh, but th there's just, so anyway, Bill Graham had the Fillmore West, had the Winterland, but New York City in the, in this early, the later 60s, didn't have venues except these larger clubs. Mm -hmm. So, there was an abandoned theater. The Beacon was closed. Okay. Your, your beloved Palladium was right. closed. And there was a theater on 2nd Avenue between 6th between and 7th Street that used to be a Yiddish theater. We mentioned this on a previous podcast, but that became the Fillmore East. Wow. Where he ran shows. He was flying back and forth. You know, there was uh, the shows were on the weekends usually. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you would have uh, acts like um, uh, Bonnie Raitt opening for Elton John, followed by uh, Iron Butterfly. <laughs> but then the late show was Traffic, yeah. <laughs> and then Led, Ze then Led Zeppelin, then, you know, uh, um, Jackson Brat, whatever. It mm -hmm. was just all, all crazy. But... Um, it, it the book's great, and the thing, I'll, I'll the thing that really there's so many things I could just go on about, but <laughs> Grace Slick mm -hmm. from the airplane, yeah. Now you think of Joplin, mm -hmm. she's wild, right? And they talk about her, she was just wild. Um, and the dead, you at all their shows, these guys were mean. You want you say, you know, sometimes you say, I'm mean with my <laughs> nicknames. These guys were terrible. Why? They would just be dosing acid. Oh, geez. In like the water coolers. Oh, in, in people's, so, you know, like, uh, and Bill Graham knew this. Mm. So he used to have his own stash. He'd like to drink 7-Up. <laughs> but, you know, so you know what they eventually did to get him? They, someone, one of their guys uh, took a hypodermic needle with LSD. What the hell? And, and put it in the 7-Up oh, in, in the cans that was un, undetectable. Holy crap. And one night he was tripping and the dead were on. And when he was tripping, he knew that he's like, they got me, those motherfuckers. <laughs> and so what happened was he was on the side of the stage and Mickey Hart, one of the drummers, Bill Kreutzmann and Mickey Hart, just looks over at him. And he and like you feared Bill Graham and and there and he's just looking at him. Bill Graham was just like looking back at him, like you know you got me. So Mickey Hart's like, and they're you know the dead are in one of these obnoxious long jams. <laughs> and Bill Graham said he walked 
back behind Mickey Hart, and Mickey Hart goes, pick up a cowbell. And he sat there for four hours, four hours cowbelling and tripping his balls off. You know, he was cowbelling when the, when the song stopped. But yeah, there's so many stories. But I mentioned Grace Slick, and yeah. I, I had to make a couple now. She was, a, boys and girls, she was the lead singer of Jefferson Airplane. You might have heard the song White Rabbit. Yes. You might have heard the song Somebody to Love. Yes. And um, there's a couple stories, and I just made some real quick notes and we'll move on. They, they, they booked, Bill Graham got them on The Tonight Show mm. with uh, Johnny Carson. Oh, okay. This was huge. Yeah. This is when Somebody to Love was a huge hit, mm-hmm. right? So she's on The Tonight Show. Now it's lip synced. Okay. And you, as you would often see with these variety shows, they have some kind of prop. In this case, it was a little merry-go-round carousel. Oh. And uh, Spencer Dryden and Yorma Kalkinen and the drummer, whoever that was, uh, were surrounding this. And it was a lip-sync version of Somebody to Love. Mm-hmm. And instead of Grace Slick going, singing it to the audience, she walked over to where Johnny, you know, the table, the, the table and couch, and sang it to Johnny. Oh, wow. who, was this, who was like... What are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. And there, I looked all over YouTube. There's no, there's no video of it. But if that wasn't enough, when the song crescendoed, as it was coming to the, to the end of it, she walked back over... You know, Johnny Carson's like, thank God. <laughs> and as it's like, you know, da, 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 ah, she took her mic and went up to one of the uh, carousel horses and made like she was sticking the mic in one of the horse's asses. Oh, God. No wonder he can't find it. <laughs> right. So that, that's just one, one moment with her. Another moment, I don't know why he would do it because he was sharp, but... Uh, uh, they got booked, but they were in New York. Uh, Bill Graham had something to do with the Whitney Museum. You know, okay. Which I think it's an art museum. Yeah. yeah. And they had the airplane go there with all the, with all the, uh, um, you know, wealthy, uh, the hoi ploi, yeah. you know. <laughs> and it was not, or there had to be other acts. It was not a Jefferson Airplane crowd. And when, when, and she was, she was, besides all the drugs she took, she, her drug of choice is alcohol. And she came out and she looked at these people, guys, and, you know, they were dressed uh, formally. Mm-hmm. And these women in nice gowns and these men in, in suit and men in, uh, in, a, in a tux. And she looks out and she goes, she, she's, she's set, looks at with this one woman and she goes, and she, and she sort of looks at all the women and goes, uh, she says, your men wouldn't know a clip from a junk bond. Whoa. You should show them your pussy more often. Oh, that was the opening of the show. Wow, that'll wake you up. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So. <laughs> Holy that, moly. Right. That was, uh, yeah. And another odd thing. She, she, this might be around. I got to look. You know, the 1968 Olympics with the, um, the Black Power? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy, oh, what was his name? I forget the, one of the, one of the guys, but she came on the Smothers Brothers mm-hmm. and she had the black glove, but 
against the advice of all the people in the band, she wore blackface. Oh. Right. And she thought this is like, you know, a protest. Oh. And it wasn't anti. Yeah. But she was misguided. just, she was so twisted. Yeah. And then she gave the black power salute. That would have been plenty. That at, the, would, at the end of that. The, the glove would have been plenty with the black power salute. Didn't need, didn't need to do that. Right. So, yeah. Um, there's a little on Grace Slick. There's a little on Fillmore, yeah. East and West. There's so many good stories in that. Very, very interesting. But uh, I know you want to get to Disney World. <laughs> oh, well, I got a, I got something I found. You know, I always look for weird things on the Internet. Yes. Including Disney you know, infomercials, so to speak. There's a show I found. I'm going to put you on the spot. We haven't talked about this. A show called Turn On. And it was done. Albert Brooks was one of the was one of the writers. It was on 1969. It's one of the only shows that got canceled as it was airing for the first time. Now, Albert Brooks, uh, I'm usually good with this era of names. Was he a comedian? He was in... A writer? Uh, uh, actor? What was that? What was that? Uh, broadcast News. He was in Broadcast News. Okay. He was in... Uh, yeah, he was very young. He was, I think, 19 or 20. So, in 1969, I think... And it's it's fascinating. It's uh, once the pandemic breaks, the, uh, the apparently the Museum of Television in New York has two episodes, and the first episode in most markets didn't finish. It was canceled as it was airing. <laughs> it was it was too bawdy, uh, too sexual. Uh, a lot of the things that you described, Grace Slick. Uh, it was a it was kind of a bang bang sensory overload sketch show. And it was done. Sort of like a R-rated laughing. Yeah. Well, laughing was uh, some of the writers were from laughing. Yeah. Okay. So it was just bang, 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 sensory, and it was done completely white background, completely white soundstage. So it's fascinating. And there's like a 60 second kind of retrospective of of it from ABC from like 10 years ago. It's the only footage How'd that's you on come YouTube. across that. I got on a weird tangent where I was looking for, you know, <laughs> lost media. Okay. And it was on one of the things that said, uh, well, what about this show? And there's very funny clippings in the newspaper about all these station managers. Uh, apparently the skit that was over the top was there was a cigarette dispenser. And instead of selling cigarettes, it sold birth control. And, oh. and very apparently that's when the switchboards lit up. And that's when many markets decided, hey, we're pulling this off the air. Was this maybe broadcast live at the time? No, it was, uh, it was on ABC. It ran for ran for one episode. But there's a couple taped. But two are, two are known to exist. So... They had musical get. They would have had musical guests and everything. I think the birds were actually scheduled to, to be on it down the road, and uh, never. Well, I'll happened. definitely have to check that out. Yeah, just like last week when we were we were, I, I toyed with this Fillmore thing. I mentioned uh, that led me to the Dick Cavett stuff, right? Which is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Never bored. Look up Dick Cavett if you like this kind of stuff, whether it's John Lennon, whether it's that Lester Maddox and Jim Brown. Right. Classic. <laughs> uh, and uh, I saw a good one with Groucho Marx and uh, it, just really, really interesting, very interesting stuff. That late 60s, early 70s era was just so rich with, um, with uh, you know, can... can is that the only period where there was the last explosion? Someone's going to argue with me. Well, what about the disco? 
explosion? What about the punk explosion? What about the grunge explosion mm -hmm. of the early 90s? And there was a lot of great bands came out of that. But there was such a, a boom period, not just for music, but for art and just things were changing so fast. Yeah, I think art often reflects what's going on in the world. And I think the rapid change, whether it was in Vietnam, whether it was here, uh, civil rights, a lot of the a lot of the band-aids were being torn off quickly. Uh, the Lyndon Johnson, you know, a lot of people talk so much about Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson was the one that signed a lot of legislation. And, and yeah, but he wasn't the best guy. No, he wasn't. No, you, you don't get credit for the, the big achievement if you're not not good along the way. But I, all of that change happened rather quick and rather fast. And uh, talk about mysterious deaths. There's a lot of mysterious deaths along the way. Well, which, getting, which leads us back to Nixon. Uh, you know, Johnson was smart enough to know I mean, he was like the dirtiest player in the game. Right. People, he, people don't understand, or, and I didn't know until I really researched it. He was a, he was a Democratic candidate for the 1960 election. Mm -hmm. He became a Democratic candidate at the convention. Didn't know this. And Kennedy, Adlai Stevenson was was going to run and then right. Kennedy he, was going to use Adlai Stevenson as for vice president. And Stevenson had lost to Eisenhower. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and then Kennedy realized, oh, shit, we need, you know, they were the, the Irish. South. Yes. They were Irish Catholic family, which at the time was like being, you know, uh, black or Jewish. And they're not going to win any of these southern states. Mm -hmm. And they basically made a deal with Johnson. You know, uh, they were, you know, so that's that's how, you know, which, of course, leads to the Kennedy conspiracy, which, you so know, if you're going to have a coup d'etat, you got to have the right man. And Johnson, he was there. Um, I'm never going to get to Disney World. But that's all right. <laughs> it's our, uh, um, last night, there's a show on HBO about the FBI, but it's about errors. And the one I watched was about what was going on with the FBI and during Watergate. Mm. And this was J. Edgar Hoover's last stand. Mm. But what, ha what happened was, you know, Watergate happened, I could look it up, but it was May or June of 72. Mm -hmm. The break-in was front page news and it was attached to Nixon that the Democratic, you know, the Democratic... Uh, headquarters mm -hmm. in Watergate. Water, Watergate is the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. It was broken into mm -hmm. and the guys all gave fake names, but they were all identified. And, you know, H.R. Halderman, Frank Sturgis, who's associated with the Kennedy murder, uh, E. Howard Hunt, yeah. who's associated with the Kennedy murder, um, all these guys were lifetime spooks mm -hmm. and, you know, going back to with Cuba and the Bay of Pigs and we're going to get Castro and dirty deeds done dirt cheap. So when the, the Watergate break-in happened, Nixon won the, the election. Landslide. Uh, right. One of the, the biggest, right. the biggest a, victory of all time. Just a few months later. And yeah. what happened was uh, he... 
had put the taping system mm-hmm. in the White House in 71. Everything, he was, he was the stupidest move ever. <laughs> I don't know what advantage he, I guess he was so paranoid. Right. That, but it, everything was recorded, including, you know, uh, did they get the, do they know who broke in? Uh, <laughs> you know, and so, but he had Hoover on his side. Oh. Until J. Edgar Hoover suddenly died mm. in like 73. And uh, Nixon didn't leave office till two years later. Right. You know, they were going to, it's, it's just fascinating. Yeah. They, you know, they, John Dean, uh, you know who that is, right? Deep throat. Well, he was, he, D- Dean, you see him on CNN sometimes, they bring him on. Right. Dean was a young man then, and Dean testified, and these other guys testified, mm-hmm. and uh, Nixon resigned and was pardoned by uh, G- Gerald Ford is the only uh, Gerald Ford is the only person to become vice president and president without being elected to either. Amazing. Because Spiro Agnew. He got thrown out for taxes. Right. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> fascinating stuff. Yeah. Gerald Ford has a history of, of failing upward. I mean, that became a running joke on SNL. Obviously, the early days of Saturday Night Live. But there are some things in his life, too, if you look f- Further, he he was always when he played football in, in college, he became the starter because some other guy had this freak accident. There's like <laughs> this series of things in Gerald Ford's life where something happens and suddenly he gets he gets the ball. <laughs> well, if you tuned into Last Stop Penn Station for some light uh, wrestling talk or uh, hearing dirty stories about the 70s and 80s. We, we apologize. <laughs> well, we can but get, we're, we can get but back we're, there. We're gonna, yeah, yeah. But, we're, but, but this is all good stuff. It, it is. It's interesting. And know? how about the rest? Let's tie it back to wrestling, right? Who Do you know, who was, do you remember who was at WrestleMania 2? These people not only were excommunicated, they should have been excommunicated because it's the big, biggest crime, one of the biggest crimes in the United States history. But... Vince McMahon brings in, do you know who? It wasn't, he brought in Herb the Burger King guy. He brings in Claire, the Where's the Beef Lady, for WrestleMania 2. Who are you come? G. Gordon Liddy. Really? Yeah, G. Gordon Liddy comes out at WrestleMania 2, waves to everybody. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And I know a lot of people listening, or thousands of thousands of listeners. Yeah. These names, you got to look up these people. Um, I'm going to continue, I'm sorry, but... You probably didn't know the name Frank Sturgis. I've heard the name. I, I remember Mr. Barna would not be happy with me right now. He taught us who Frank Sturgis was. In, well, in US after I saw this fascinating Watergate thing, AJ, I got you got to see this thing, and you, you got to see this too. Yeah. It's only fifty minutes. It, it's and it was like part one. I went on YouTube, and I t- I'm like, there's no way that you know there might be a little bio. Uh, about Frank Sturgis. Well, he in 1976, he served time in jail after uh, the Watergate. Mm -hmm. You know, they sent him to like one of these... uh, Low low security. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But Frank Sturgis came on the Geraldo Rivera show. Of of course he did. Geraldo Rivera. (laughs) Who's had G. Gordon Liddy many times, but that's not either here nor there. In 76... This is when they had these Senate, uh, they were reinvestigating the Kennedy murder. Mm-hmm. 
and Sam Giancana had died, and, and, and Johnny Roselli, the, you know, was the, the Johnny Roselli was the mafia king, uh, allegedly, of Miami, mm-hmm. and Sam Giancana of Chicago. And they were both supposed to testify, mm. as well as Charles Nicoletti, as well as this one, as well as that one. They all were killed. And oh, uh, yeah, before the Senate sub, you know, which found which found it to be a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Frank Sturgis, he was associated. Um, anyway, so so uh, Rivera has he has on this comedian to start the show. It was a very complete show. He did a good job. The first guest was a comedian who was at the who used to work. Before the strippers came out huh. at the Carousel Club, huh. where Jack Ruby, that Jack Ruby, the man who shot Oswald, right. where he owned, mm-hmm. you know, he was he had this night, and and you know, Ruby wasn't his last name; mm-hmm. it was Rubenstein. Mm-hmm. He was uh, associated with the Chicago mob, but he was Jewish. He's not going to be. You're not going to become a made man. But he ran guns to Cuba. He did this. He did that. He was in trouble with with on both sides with the Dallas police and the boys allegedly. And uh, so this guy was a comedian and uh, opened the shows for these strippers that would come out. And the question was from Geraldo: Did you see Lee Harvey Oswald at Jack Ruby's club? And he's like twice. Oh. And he went into so the, and this is we like two weeks and four weeks before the murder. Oh wow! Ruby has Oswald in his club. Jeez, right? And it, it, you know, it's it leaves for me. It's fascinating. The next guest was Jack Ruby's sister. Oh, this lady. This lady who's. My brother, he might have had strippers. <laughs> he might have flown on vacation to Cuba. It's shot Oswald in cold blood on right, live right. television. Yeah. But, but yeah, he was patriotic. That's why he shot him. Well, where I'm leading to is the next guest is Frank Sturgis. Huh. I couldn't believe it. Like, was it was he there as like a false, like a, right. D, D a, infor- a D information. Yeah. But he was talking about, you know, he was talking about Castro's role in uh, the Kennedy thing. And he didn't, you know, when, when uh, Geraldo Rivera asked him about um, the mafia, that's when he yeah. he did a about face. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, Frank Sturgis. And he was also on, uh, oh Christ, one of these other shows. But yeah. Real, you know, these are classic friggin' spooks, man. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting. Oh, man. I find it interesting. Yeah. And could you describe that word just in case anybody thinks who is not familiar that are Caucasian, just in case yes. they think you're using that derogatory? Just, just so. A spook is a black op. It's for spooky. Mm-hmm. And there were these guys that they would keep off the books. Mm. Um, so in other words, Frank Sturgis was connected to the CIA. Mm-hmm. He was connected to the FBI. And he sort of had connections at the Secret Service. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't on their books. Right. Uh, just like 
the great David Ferry mm-hmm. from uh, which um, that Joe Pesci plays in the uh, Kennedy just and G Gordon Liddy right and these guys they just uh, I mean Nixon surrounded himself sure with these classic spooks yeah. They could get information. Mm-hmm. They knew, you know, dirty deeds done dirt cheap once again. Mm-hmm. But they, the Watergate break-in, there were so many blunders. It's like they wanted to get caught. Yeah, that's you that's, know about some, that? that's the most interesting thing to me. I, I mean, they there was a number of times they should have gotten caught and, and did. I, I mean, they were just very easily discovered. Right. So it's, yeah, it's almost that there's part of me that there's a conspiracy that maybe that was to, maybe Nixon had flipped on them or something too and who who knows i don't think we'll ever know well we may never know um and we still want to get to disney world here yeah, um, yeah we, were, we were we were talking about um me coming out working with farrell we have alley area yeah and we were also talking about these ticket man you know uh we we got on a thing in previous last stop Penn stations we talked about digging for tickets mm-hmm. at the live at the Madison Square Gardens and the Meadowlands and the Radio Cities and that that whole ordeal of doing that and um, later when Ticketron went to Ticketmaster there were Lots of Ticketmaster machines around, mm-hmm. but the better seats were still at the, uh, you know, at the arena box offices, mm-hmm. whether it was the Allentown Fairgrounds, sure. whether it was the Spectrum, mm-hmm. whether it was the many, multi-named Meadowlands Arena, Continental, let's see, Continental. <laughs> Brendan Byrne. Brendan Byrne, yeah. The United it became Continental than United, I think, at one point. Right. Now, now it's gone completely. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, but the, so when these shows would go, now that there were Ticketmasters around, you had a, a good chance to get some good seats or in a case of a huge show. And we were talking about Alice in Chains last time because mm-hmm. they were huge at the time. Uh, bands like that or Soundgarden would play uh, Roseland. Yeah. You know, it held like 3,000 people. You just, you know, so if there were 50 Ticketmaster machines and it was an eight, maybe, all right, we'll say a four ticket limit because mm-hmm. let's say it was, you know, Soundgarden and they're red hot. What year were they big, AJ, in their earliest? Probably uh, 90, 91. All right, fine. So... It would go on sale. So there's like, you know, the first punch, 50 times four, that's, you know, 200. Two, right. And and Roseland probably had a sale going on at the building too. Mm-hmm. So maybe the Ticketmasters only had like 1,200 seats. Mm-hmm. So like within a few punches, they were gone. Yeah. And in preparing to do this, and it's hard to put this in a succinct manner. I spoke to three friends of mine who were involved in the ticket business. They all wish to remain (laughs) anonymous after these stories. But the point was, was that whether it was right or wrong, 
every Ticketmaster machine was corrupt. Mm. Every one of them. So, and, and I mentioned last week, I, I knew this and sometimes would send a crew of kids, oh, go to this one in uh, Bordentown, New Jersey. <laughs> but it was inevitably corrupt. Mm-hmm. And it, it would have to be a show like, didn't matter what tickets you would get. Yeah. And I was, one, one of my friends, we'll call him Tony, I was talking to, he was, t- you know, we, we most of the ticket masters, they were either in these record stores and head shop kind of places. Sure. But then they were in the, uh, uh, the Bambergers or the, the Hesses. Yeah, Hesses had it, uh, Strawberry and Clothier. Right. Uh, yeah. These, these big department store boys and girls. And they were also at every Tower Records when Tower Records right. existed. It, there was Tower Records, I think, but when you were in school, was it on 4th Street? There was Tower Records? Yeah. In- so when I was at NYU, it was 4th Street and Broadway. Yeah. And it was Tower Records, Tower Books. Tower Books. And there was the, the Virgin Megastore, which also had the Ticketmaster. That was probably a little bit after your time. But those were huge. And there was one in Union Square and Times Square. Well, I spoke to the guy today. I was going to get back to Tony, this guy, Dave, who uh, at one point in time had the Tower Records store. You know, when I say he had it, mm-hmm. he he would get the tickets from there. And once in a while, like like sometimes the the brokers themselves would operate the machine. <laughs> so first of all, they're operating the machine, and this is without the program, Farrell. This is just straight operate the machine. <laughs> then they would stack the line. Oh, with the, it, at first it was first come first serve. Mm-hmm. So then, in order to have not have like uh, a crew of kids that so or guys that someone sent like Freddie the Weeper sent like you know the mummy and uh Tommy Indio and Droopy Al oh get there at <laughs> night get there oh get there at 10 p.m. oh maybe you should get there at 8 p.m. you know the sale was eight, nine eight in the morning a. yeah right yeah. <laughs> so if these guys would go to the store and be literally first online. Mm-hmm. Well, what the stores did eventually, what you know, they, they wouldn't open the door till five after ten or five yeah. after nine, whatever the time of the sale was. You know, there would be a buck, buckets of tickets pulled ah. by all. You know, but what they did to even stack the deck. <laughs> stack the deck more. Which is the name of my theme song in Ring of Honor. I didn't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. Stack know the deck, All yes. Right. <laughs> well, so what they did was, and they did this in the car and do, they would hand out wristbands or, oh, or, or numbers. They still, yeah. So they would hand, oh, here, uh, here's another, oh, you got number 61. Oh, you got number, well, the number that was picked would be the Ticketmaster operators. First seven mm. bums he had there. Wow. Yeah. So it's just the way it was. And uh, so I was talking to the guy who actually had that Tower Records. Okay. And he said, he's like, oh, Jesus Christ. He goes, at one point before the wristbands, 
Um, you know, when the machine would print out the tickets, it'd be like, it was loud. Like, <laughs> and like the guys on the line going, hey, there's tickets coming. He's like, no, the machine just, it's just, it's just warming up. Like, it's incredible. <laughs> Let it warm up. You know, the, guy, the guy's there waiting to buy Ozzy Osbourne. He's going to <laughs> and so also at that Tower Records, they realized that where the machine was, you know, they had those big plate glass windows. Yeah, it was a beautiful building. Right? Yeah. They would have the posters of the uh, various hot record acts. Yeah. So he realized, oh, shit, the people could see him <laughs> behind the machine. Right. So they had to put up like, you know, whatever. Oasis poster. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Blocking that. That was funny. Then my friend Tony was telling me regarding these um, regarding these um, department stores. Mm -hmm. Well, one of his guys, it was in the North Jersey area, might have been the old school um, uh, was he? Bamber was Bamberger still around? It might have been. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it was around this time. So he knew the guy that had the Bambergers and could, could you know. Uh, get seats for the Bamberger's machine. And it was a big show. It was like um, Pink Floyd doing, you know, with Roger. The first time Roger Waters oh, wow. and uh, David Gilmore had come back together <laughs> in many years. Huge. And they're playing Giant Stadium. And so at this particular store, which was like in Paramus or somewhere, <laughs> there's like 100 people outside. Well, the guy snuck him in through like the side door. Whoa. You know, an employee entrance. Yeah. So Tony tells me, yeah. So, it, you know, the, the, the thing's punching the seats out. They open the door like, you know, four after four after nine or whatever the time was, four after 10. And he says, and I have me and seven guys who are there. And there comes a thundering her. <laughs> oh, no. You know, so eventually after the seventh person, uh, you know, would get and like as the bogus person was getting their tickets. Yeah. The, the more were being printed out. Oh, God. More were being printed out. And yeah. so when finally the first legitimate person would get there, you know, they're just they just didn't really have a chance. Oh. Another friend of mine, uh, Gary, what he the, he did <laughs> him and his partner. There's a guy, Napkin. Oh, first time for Napkin, I think. <laughs> Great Napkin. They were smart. It didn't last long, but they bought a video store in a bad neighborhood of the Bronx. Huh. And, and Gary, I spoke to him a couple of days ago. He said, the only reason, I go, but wasn't it in a bad neighborhood? He goes, yeah. He goes, but it was safe. I go, well, what do you mean? It's an oxymoron. He goes, no. The drug dealers were on the corner, so they made sure there was no trouble. Mm. And he says to me, nobody would come to this machine. Wow. I go, come on. There's some of these scalping crews, which uh, there's some class, there's some classic. Uh, and there were there were good guys. Um, and it was just his name. 
Black George, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there was Doug, and you know they were African American, but they had their shit together. So uh, guys like them, they might come to the machine mm-hmm. and be like, "Hey, you know, we want to get something." Yeah, and because Gary was telling me nobody ever came, I'm like, someone had to come, sure. And, and you know, uh, if you have. Uh, uh, Barbara Streisand going on sale after 25 years. <laughs> yeah, Someone's right. going to come. Big return. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so all these machines were corrupt. Amazing. Uh, and, and you started to tell us last week about a little store with a, an elderly woman who was running that machine. <laughs> and it was a baby dumplings who tried to grease her. <laughs> that was Prozies. Prozies. <laughs> the Weeper, besides that, the Weeper had a connection at the Meadowlands. Okay. He used to say, oh, the old guys. <laughs> Freddie was very fair to these guys. Oh, the old man's going to pull seats. And this is, you know, I'm jumping ahead. But when I opened Rave Review in, in 98, this is when Monday Night Raw and WCW were huge. Oh, we had to stand in line and wait huge. for tickets. And, well, yeah. the old man... At the and at the Meadowlands, where I took AJ and his son one time many years ago for WWF, E, the old man would pull like sixteen front rows and <laughs> and, and sixteen second rows, and like, and Freddie be like, oh, should I get? A sh-? They were only like thirty bucks. I, you know, oh. Should I, uh, oh, uh, maybe I shouldn't get the second round. I'm like, get him. Yeah. You know, he goes, oh, I, I, can, can he get, you know, he probably could have got more. Yeah. But the guy just, the guy just yanked him. Wow. And, uh, you know, Freddie paid him accordingly. Um, and uh, we made a lot of money from those at that time with yeah. those tickets. I, re- I remember Monday Night Raw in its peak. And I started Rave Review in 98. I know we're jumping around here, but that's okay. I started Rave Review in 98. And I had Matt and Joe, who still works with me. And we went to the Monday Night Raw. Mm -hmm. And I saved... We we got big money. We got like 400 apiece for the front row. Wow. And like, you know... 300 second row. This is a like a year. This only lasted for like a year. Sure. But this was front row center, second row center. Wow. Uh, So there was a guy who used to call us for tickets. He had some kind of gardening landscaping business in Staten Island. And this guy spent money. He Hmm. was a great customer. You know, give me... and, and his kids loved wrestling. Mm-hmm. And he used to like to go to uh, see the, the Giants. And his wife wanted tickets uh, for who, her flavor of the day. Uh, oh, uh, you know. It, it, Celine it, Dion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I get. I need four Celine Dion's. They got to be in the, you know, they're going to be like 400. I just sent them to me, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the guy, can't remember his name, but the place was in Staten Island. He had a name like. Uh, like Garupolis or something, like Garupolis uh, gardening. So I go there with Joe and Matt. I, 
I, I should find the show because we were on the hard camera side. Oh, wow. And <laughs> Garupolis is, and he bought eight seats. Wow. You know, I said, well, second row, instead of 350, just to get eight of them, just give me three apiece. Mm-hmm. I, All right, fine. So it was, so we're at the show. And I say to, to Matt and Joy, I go, I think that's the guy behind us. You know, and, and Matt's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had section, it was like section B, row one and two. I go, that must be that Garupolis, because he had, there were like two adults, two men, like in their 40s. You know, and at the time, you could smoke in the building, okay. He's like cigar <laughs> chomping. And they had like his daughter, foul mouth daughter. <laughs> you know, you know uh, it, 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 it started around 99, 2000, you know, so the, was The Rock hot then? Yeah, The Rock was hot. Who Steve was Austin. The, who was the bad guys? Uh, uh, Triple H, Vince McMahon, well, Undertaker. Yeah, like Triple H, she'd yeah. be like, you fuck, you know. <laughs> Garop- she was probably a teenager, Garopolis, right? Garopolis, <laughs> he wouldn't say nothing. And yeah, she was a teenager, but their father's there. Right, just right there. So anyway, I was going to turn around to introduce myself <laughs> hey thank you you know yeah. and good thing i didn't oh because although he wasn't necessarily angry at me at because he was he was like right behind me mm-hmm. him and his friend and the daughters and her foul mouth teenage <laughs> friends were down right next to him Garupolis <laughs> says to his friend and it's only been like a half hour into the show goes, Jesus fucking Christ. I spent $2,400 for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I, at that point, I, said, I better not introduce myself. <laughs> Never complain, though. He would call. Um, yeah. Uh, so all these places uh, were corrupt. Um, and then there was the gimmick hmm. that Farrell had that saved you the trouble of putting, of, of keeping the people, having to stack the line. Cause that little gimmick when hooked to the, to the Ticketmaster computer. I mean, these people were jeopardizing their Ticketmasters and what they were doing. Yeah. And eventually Ticketmaster sent plants hmm. to stand there and you know they would they, and as the 90s went on they wanted to get rid of the mom and pop stores yeah and then they only had the ticket masters in these uh chain stores right and now there's not any yeah but um this program that we were that he, uh, my partner had access to would lock these seats in and then print them out afterwards wow and it worked great uh, as long as you didn't get caught. But mm-hmm. once again, as we said on the last episode, the problem was the Ticketmaster log would reflect that when Billy Joel was sold out at 10, 1028, at 1145, there was uh, 190 tickets printed <laughs> out from one particular store and they were all good seats. Where did those come from? Yeah. So... It it eventually uh, it caught up it caught up with us and uh, the show there were two shows that brought us down there were two different locations 
there was that Joe and his brother guy <laughs> who had the stores down there. The guy who would look at, because you could look in the Ticketmaster machine days before, like, oh, Paul McCartney's going on sale and see what's there and what's not there. Mm -hmm. So you would know where to try to go for. Uh, and he would say, oh, they killed it. Uh, <laughs> referring to taking all the tickets. Well, it was at an R.E.M. R.E.M. was huge sure. in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And it was an R.E.M. show at the Garden. And we pulled all kinds of seats. And Ticketmaster came. Ah. And yeah. And there was the, the incident in Prozies, which was um, the Alice in Chains show. That was the G.A. show. And... There was another guy running the machine. Farrell's software was in use, but the guy running the machine was this guy, Bob, and he was a friend of Farrell's and he knew how to do it. And what happened was he saw the lady from Ticketmaster. There was like one lady who patrolled the North Jersey <laughs> and he literally ran away. <laughs> So in other words, the tickets were still stored in the memory. And we're like, Bob, right? He's like, oh. Yeah, he was very, he was, he was nervous as hell. Yeah. That was the downfall of the Prozies machine. Oh, no. Uh, the tickets never got printed. They went back into the system somehow. Some some deserving Alice in Chains fan <laughs> got the tickets. Yeah. But it just went on and on. And uh, we're not going to get to Disney World this oh, week. We don't have enough that's okay. time. You just explained to me one of my great childhood mysteries. What's in, that? In 1997, at Stable Arena, we lined up about 8 a.m. for a 9 a.m. ticket on sale. And we were probably 10th in line. And we got second row seats. Was it a TV broadcast? No, it was a, it was a half show. That would show. only be bought by yeah. some of these uh, Philly guys, like the guys that were in Cherry Hill, but go ahead. Sure. It would still get bought. Sure, it was. It ended up being sold out. Um, so eventually it sells out. I, five months later, six months later in August, we were in line and we were, I would imagine, even closer. But somehow we were five rows from the back of the building. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you would think Stable Arena would give a better cut. Uh, yeah, yeah. They uh, unfortunately, you know, it explained. I mean, WWF was scorching hot by by then. What Steve year was that? Ninety seven. So they'd get even hotter, but that'd be the last Raw they'd have at Stabler because they okay. went to bigger and better buildings from there. But. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a it was a <laughs> it's a dirty business, <laughs> but that's you know. Can I ask you a few questions yeah, about the customers? Absolutely. How did you how did you find somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo or all yellow pages, yellow pages, yellow pages and okay. newspaper ads? So you would just take out an ad, say, "Hey, we have tickets. Call us." So a typical transaction, they'd call you, "Hey, I found your ad." What you know? Right. Like okay. there was no internet. Mm -hmm. There was no internet. So the Spice Girls are on sale for Jones Beach. Yeah. You know, and then. People would, would, what do you have for the Spice Girls? Mm -hmm. Well, we have some, uh, we weren't like Ronnie selling the fourth row centers 20 <laughs> times. We have 15th row, right center. Those are 300. We have such and such section. 
you know, uh, 150, da, da, da. And we have the upper tier, which was called the second promenade. And those are 65. Yeah. And the people be like, uh, give me four at 65 mm -hmm. or give me whatever, you know. And yeah. you used to be able just to write orders. Like the day that PNC Art Center mm -hmm. and Jones Beach or the Camden one mm -hmm. would go on sale. The Tweeter Center. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It was huge. Like uh, you could just like at the PNC in uh, Homedale. Uh, like James Taylor would always play mm -hmm. and Jimmy Buffett would always play and they'd have a couple of medalist shows mm -hmm. uh, and Dave Matthews would play. Right. And you could just say like, hey, lawn seats are X and we have reserved seats starting at uh, 95 and up. And often they wouldn't, you didn't give them a section. Mm -hmm. Or if you would, the, the PNC used to be the, the first 20 rows of the 100 numbers. Mm -hmm. We put you in the 100 numbers, uh, no, no row, uh, you know, they're 150. And people used to see this is the day of the sale. Gotcha. Because they were so frustrated from not being able, you know, oh, that was another thing. Mm -hmm. We had we had sneak Ticketmaster phone numbers. Interesting. So. The number you would get, the 212 number or the 201 number mm -hmm. or the 609 number, right. was only 609 was only supposed to get you Philadelphia events. Oh. The 201 or the 908 or the 212 were only supposed to get you New York City events. Well, we, fa we found a number, and there was more than one, but it was Steubenville, Ohio. <laughs> nice. And this Steubenville, Ohio number like the day of Jones Beach or the PNC or or uh, Pink Floyd for New York, they they would sell you the tickets. Wow. Even though they were only, they were only supposed to be selling like Cleveland and, <laughs> right. and Cincinnati. Catherine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there was uh, all kinds of uh, all kinds of trickery. Um, I actually. I'll tell you where they gave you a good shot, but you had to be online. Hmm. And it was the Allentown Fair. Interesting. Even up to 10 years ago, Rush played. Mm -hmm. And I sent my good friend, Fat Bald Sammy, there. Okay. Now, now Sammy's like in his 60s. And he brings like these five other guys they couldn't tell you a Rush song <laughs> in a million years. And I got to find it. There's an article from the Morning Call about they, they, Sam, he's a good talker. <laughs> Lehigh Valley's biggest Rush fan. <laughs> <laughs> which, which also happened even on a higher level. Did I ever tell you the story about the great Pee Wee? No. Pee Wee, right? He was this. He was this. He was like Pee Wee. He he. This guy died only a few years ago. Lived. He was always around, and he was a great. Didn't drink. He liked to play the horses. Didn't drink. Liked to have a good pastrami sandwich. His wife had passed away. Never was broke. 
Freddie knew him. And he's like, oh, you know. So the Yankees were going on sale for the World Series. Oh, wow. Or, or the playoffs round two or something. Mm -hmm. And it must have been the World Series because Freddie sent Pee Wee. Pee Wee was willing at like 80 years old <laughs> to go to stand. The tickets were going on sale Monday at 10 a.m. He was the, and Yankee Stadium, they were first come, first serve. Yeah. Pee Wee was the first guy, you know, him and wow. another couple of friends of his. So, you yeah. know, they had to go to the bathroom. Like yeah. That, so they leave, they got their spot. And guess what? David let the New York, uh, what, what network was Letterman CBS. On? CBS sent people down to, to uh, Yankee Stadium for a news story for that weekend. And Pee Wee was – and they interviewed Pee Wee. <laughs> and, and the story played and Letterman had him on. No way. I'm going to find it. Wow. And it's the world's greatest – and Pee Wee – when I asked Pee Wee about it, he says, son – the only baseball player I knew, and it was only because I was from New York, was Babe Ruth. <laughs> no, I never went to a, he never went to a game. He could tell you every horse that day at Aqueduct. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to find that clip of Pee Wee. Yeah, definitely find it and, and share it. And we're going to get to Disney World eventually. Oh, well, we'll have to do it on the next episode because I think we're running a little long, but yeah. it was all good. Uh, yeah, just some incredible stuff. I'm going to be checking out that the uh, FBI documentary you mentioned. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be looking for Pee Wee. I'm going to search through those <laughs> clips and see if I can help you find him. Wow. What an interesting, uh, interesting story. I got a couple more questions, but I'll save them for next time. Because, ask you uh, one. Ask you one. How did, how did the transactions occur? I mean, now we have PayPal, we have Venmo. Did they send a check? Did Cash? You take, uh -oh, oh, when they called to buy tickets? Right. Credit card. Credit card? Okay. Unless you had accounts. Mm. There were certain guys you build. Okay. And you and if you were buying broker to broker, like I knew a broker that had good Yankee tickets and this guy, the brokers, oh, I'll call Agars in Union City. He has good Yankees. Or, oh, I'll call Manhattan. They got a Phantom of the Opera tickets. They got a good... Um, you you would those would get billed, and some of these bigger ticket agencies, like the ones I just mentioned, um, they would have accounts like where they would bill people. And this is back in the days where they didn't have these regulations, like with you know uh, gift giving. Oh, with sure. like you know the stock the stock guys. Yeah. And the pharmaceutical reps. That was two thousand three when the Sunshine Act Huge. happened. Huge. So, yeah. I had a couple of guys. Speaking of Merck, who we mentioned earlier, yeah. that was the yeah. So we'll get to that next week. Oh, that sounds good. I'm I'm very interested in that because. As some of the listeners know, that's the other industry I work in. Right. And there's a lot of regulation around Man, that. Man, there was some... It was, it was the way business was done. Think it, the, the one that the Sunshine, the Sunshine Act requires transparency and gift giving if you are a manufacturer to a provider, a healthcare provider. The one that got busted involved giving the doctor a boat, paying for their children's college tuition, and so on and so forth. But we'll, we'll get Almost to... Almost like Empire Industries. Right. Yeah. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And uh, hopefully my love for Disney World won't change between now and next week. And hopefully we'll get to it. I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> so uh, this has been a really exciting, fun episode of Last Stop Penn Station. I want to thank AJ, our producer. Carrie, we want to thank uh, Eric from Discover Pro Wrestling. Right. Thanks, Eric. And uh, we appreciate everything he does and helps in terms of getting the notes and the social clips ready. 
So with that, please we- subscribe, buy some shirts. I see yeah. all these people hawking their merch. You know, we've had a few sales, but, you know, pick up a last stop. Penn Including Station. Dave LaGreca. Thank you, that's Dave. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's, right. that's yeah. right. I appreciate that from LaGreca. We are under 10 Ian Micro Brawlers. So <laughs> we are under 10, folks. I think it went up from last <laughs> Right. I think, I think we anticipated a wave of sales. Thanks to Danhausen. Danhausen, whose Micro Brawler came, uh, helped me move literally about 30 of them. And so thank you, Danhausen. Uh, I got word for the Micro Brawler fans that there's going to be a few more Ring of Honor ones coming out within the next couple of months. So uh, you got to yeah, hit up Brian. You got to hit up Brian. They're doing these special. When are those cards coming out? Soon. And okay. you're in the set. <laughs> Upcoming. I've written your biography. So. Okay. Upcoming. Upcoming. And uh, that's it for this week on Last Stop Penn Station. For more, Carrie and Ian and AJ, check out 55and5.com. Uh, head over to Ad Free Shows where we do the posters of the week. And uh, check out us next week right here on Last Stop Penn Station. Happy wrestling, everybody. We hail you for listening to Last Stop Penn Station podcast. Rate, review, like, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at laststoppennstation.com.